0: It's Mostly Banter with Mike and and I am Brandon, that is Mike, and yes, the podcast still exists. After a two-month hiatus, we are back, and I am reunited with my good friend, Michael Moline. Mike, how are you? I am doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. It's been a a very busy couple months, obviously. Uh, We actually recorded a USC season preview the day before the opener, and we had a lot of JT Daniels talk with Shotgun Spratling, who's Mike wasn't great because he was actually on the phone in the car and we made him close the window and turn off the AC and he sent me a pic of basically his shirt covered in sweat so I felt really bad about that especially since we ended up actually posting the podcast because of two reasons obviously the audio didn't sound great and JT Daniels tore his ACL so uh, yeah now we're back and I'm excited to do a podcast with you. Yeah, me too. It's It should be great. Well, let's let's talk USC for a second.
1: Let's talk about disarray. You know? Let's talk about uh, structure and on-field and
0: off-field. Where do you want to start? Well, it's been a weird couple of months. When you and I recorded last, JT Daniels was a starting quarterback. Lynn Swan was the athletic director. And Clay Helton was on the hot seat. Well, only one thing is still the same, and that is Clay Helton being on the hot seat. And it really seems like every single game with Clay Helton, he either, either saves his job with a win... Or with a loss, USC fans start going crazy. So you got to feel bad for the guy because he's really coaching for his life at this point every single game. But let's start with Len Swan because I was surprised by that. It really caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting Swan to leave and especially in that manner um, where he leaves so early on in the season. Uh, I wasn't sure with whether Helton would go first or Swan would go first. I thought it would probably be Helton. But it's definitely been a strange couple of months. From your point of view, what did you think was going to happen and how surprised are you? I was surprised that Lin – not that Lin Swan
1: wasn't let go first or he he left first, whatever it was. I'm surprised that it waited so long. I actually thought it would have happened during the summer – Before the football season start with all respect to Lin Swan, he's always been nice to me in the several times that we met, even when I was kids and we were both kids. I was obviously a little younger than he was, Um, but it it just surprised me because he didn't really do anything in three years. Okay, it's let me get in and I'm not going to rush to judgment. I'm going to learn this job and delve in but it doesn't take three years to do that. And, um, I guess his big claim, to fame was he extended Helton, if I remember correctly. So, so it's, it's very strange in that USC fans for the first time that I can remember are actually rooting for the team not to succeed so that they can get out from under, um, this particular coach. I, I, as a human being, I can't, I've never met anybody who doesn't say wonderful things about him. It's not his fault that he was hired into a position that perhaps is over his aptitude. I don't know that, but perhaps, and perhaps he didn't have the, uh, the tenure to have been handed the keys to begin with. So, so it doesn't surprise me that Swan went first. Um, but it does surprise me that coach Helton is still there. I have no doubts in my mind, even if they won out that he will not be the head coach next year. I have no doubts. And uh, it's if that was the case and it was me, why am
0: I still there if I'm Coach Helton? Why am I staying? Yeah, no, that's true. And you bring up a lot of good points there. Uh, first of all, the fact that I believe he was the offensive coordinator and then took over as head coach. So it's not like he had head coaching experience at a major program before taking over USC. He did a really nice job with USC when he really studied the ship initially. Um after the departure, I believe was he took over for Sark, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, so he studied the ship real after that cuz that was a complete mess. And since then, you're right in terms of USC fans rooting for the other team. I think the only time that happened last year was towards the end of the season against UCLA, where obviously USC-UCLA, you want to beat UCLA every year. But there were some people that thought, okay, if you lose to UCLA, then maybe he'll go. And now we're at the point where it's a every single game you got to feel for this guy because now you go to Notre Dame, and if you lose that game, which you most likely will, knowing how good Notre Dame has been this season, then the question is, Is he fired or does he get another couple games? Because here's the real question. If you're going to fire him mid-season, what's the point? Do you really think that's going to make things better? Because you've been okay in conference, obviously. So this is a non-conference game. Do you think the new coach, whoever that's going to be, is the interim side? Because it's not going to be Urban Meyer middle of the season. That's just not going to happen. You and I have both talked about how we don't want Urban Meyer as head coach. But in the middle, no, of the I think s- most people don't want most USC yeah.
1: fans don't want that.
0: Exactly. But, but in the middle of the season, is a guy going to study the ship? Do we think that's going to happen? I don't think
1: so. I think that he's there for this season, much to the sh- you know chagrin of most USC fans. Um, but the whole structure is interesting because the new president, um, Carol Folster, she's doing things in an interesting way. I thought Lynn Swan would have been let go earlier during the summer, as opposed to when he was, uh, when he left, um, under circumstances that we're not exactly sure of, was there something that he did? Was there some, some scuttlebutt underneath it? Was it just, Hey, he decided it's time to go. Did she ask them to go and they worked out a settlement much like might happen with coach Helton. Um, so that's surprising. And I don't want to use the word dysfunction. It's not there, but it sure seems like there's tremendous dissent amongst the fan base amongst what should happen. Um, and there's not the, we want to win and support the team at all costs. They're more interested in the relief of when coach Helton is let go. They will feel good about it. You know, it was similar to coach Tolner and that they couldn't wait for Tolner to go, but the visceral um, distaste, it seems for coach Helton on field is is just at a,
0: a huge premium it but seems,
1: the coliseum looks nice <laughs> yeah there you go
0: it, it really seems like what's going to happen and you and i predicted this a long time ago when graham harrell was introduced as the offensive coordinator is that eventually they probably will get rid of clay helton and harrell's going to take over and he'll be the head coach the question is Is that something that happens after possibly a loss to Notre Dame and Harrell is able to see out the season as interim and then he gets an audition of sorts? Because I think that's pretty likely, Michael. I think they give him a chance to get an audition and see how he does and then he maybe gets retained versus if you let Helton go the whole season, then you don't really bring in a guy like Harrell to be the head coach when he's on the staff. You do a whole nationwide search. And then hire somebody that probably is not Graham Harrell. Because you and I both thought that Harrell will get a chance at some point. But the way you're thinking is that if Helton goes the whole season, then Harrell probably doesn't get that chance.
1: Um, I don't disagree with that. If you were asking me, hey, you get to see it. Are you Now you like the offense. You see what's going on. I, I'm i for whoever they hire. I'll always be on USC side. Of That's course. no question. But let's look at the circumstance. If you wanted Graham Harrell... To be the head coach, you really can't do what you did because if you, if you let Helton go now, you're in the exact same Position that got you into trouble twice before. You didn't hire Ogeron after he basically ran the table and just took over, and everybody loved him. But for whatever reason, perhaps the USC brass said he just doesn't look the part. He's not going to fit into the Orange County USC alums or the donors. I don't know. I'm just saying they chose not to hire Ogeron and then they hired Sarkeesian. Then Sarkeesian had his misstep. And they let him go. And then they had to do the same with Helton. They gave him the interim. And then the feel-good story, because Helton's such a nice nice guy, just like Ogeron, they hired him. And I I don't like big words, but the words I've heard used are, oh, it's a disaster, it's a this or that. And for right, wrong, or indifferent— perhaps it's not fair that Helton was given this position that was way over his skis at that time. So perhaps he should have started a Houston or a school like that. And then he would be a candidate. Now, if you do that with Harrell, you're in the exact same position. The difference in my opinion is Graham Harrell is a legitimate guy and a legitimate coach with a scheme of offense. That's, I don't want to say it's his, but he's one of the innovators and one of that new wave of coaches that have developed this, um, Kellen Moore in the NFL and Kingsbury now in the NFL, these kinds of guys. So it's interesting if you were to hire him, but I think that USC waits, you know, that was a long winded story. They wait till after the end of the year and then they make a decision. Do they hire an urban Meyer who seems to be lining himself up and they seem to be lining for it, except. The president of the university says that's not or, – or it's leaked out. That's not who she would be looking for to run the program. Maybe you look at Graham Harrell or maybe you look at the, the nationwide search. But I am fairly certain that Coach Helton will not be the coach next year under any circumstance. I can't think of one that they would keep him. But your question was do they let him go midseason? I don't think so.
0: I think that if he runs the table, then he comes back next year. I really think at this point – That's the only thing that saves him. I think you have to beat Notre Dame. You have to beat UCLA. And then you probably have to win the Pac-12. I I think that's the amount of pressure that's now on somebody. And frankly, it's unfair. It's really unfair to put that kind of pressure on a head coach entering a season where he really is a lame duck. What's the point of having the guy as the coach the entire season and having him to start the season when you know it's going to end up in a bad result for him?
1: The answer is, is that you, because you as a university don't want to end up with an Ogeron mm-hmm. dilemma decision and with a, uh, a, a, a Helton decision by putting, uh, uh, King, uh, not King Curry, a Herald into that boat. That that's the reason for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, I'm not a, uh, an advocate for coach Helton to be let go or to stay. I'm just saying kind of what I hear, what I think, what I read in that. They don't want him back next year. They being the donors, the alumni, and that's where the money comes from. So I can't see him under any circumstances, even when running the table leaving. I think it'll be a rally around him. Hey, we won this for you as a, a parting gift. And it's there. What I, what I would really love to know, like all kidding aside, like, you know, you lower all the veils. I wonder if he knows, I'd like to ask him on a interview him and say, do you know how much people really don't want you to hold this position, even oh, yeah. though you're a nice guy? Oh
0: yeah, I bet he does. I, I think it's gone to the point where he knows. And, and with donors, you bring up a good point. And you said leaving. You don't see him leaving. You see him. You do see him leaving under all circumstances. You see yeah. him leaving. Yeah. You don't see him staying. Um, just to clarify sure. that one. No, no. no. I uh, I think you're right because the donors is where the money's coming from, and if the money stops pouring in, a decision's going to be made to get rid of the man at the top. And in this case. I, unfortunately, it is um, going to be a really tough ending for Clay Helton, most likely. Um, yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on. I, I really do think if he runs the table, he stays. But that obviously is very unlikely. And he's on his third string quarterback. It's been really fun to watch the offense this year. Like that, that's that yeah. been really interesting is to see the leap from USC's offense from the days of Sam Darnold to now these Offenses that are so pass heavy and yeah, they
1: make a make a third string quarterback with I have no idea if, if Mr. Fink is a great great prospect or not, yeah. but that make a third string quarterback successful, that make a second string quarterback successful, and in the very brief uh menu that we got to 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 look at with uh with JT, it made him look like a superstar. Yeah. So it's very exciting. To share something with you, I actually had a very well, schooled USC football fan who says, I don't like the offense. Like, what do you mean you don't like the offense? It doesn't look USC. I go good. You know, yeah.
0: that, that's been a problem. It, it can't just be the Pete Carroll days of running back you, where you run the ball down teams' throats. That's not how offenses work nowadays. Look in the NFL, it, it really does not work. The Minnesota Vikings tried to run the ball down teams' throats with Dalvin Cook, who's a great running back. And then they had their star wide receiver go after Luke's their quarterback, yeah. exactly. And then <laughs> the next game, all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins finds his friend Adam Thielen again. And what do you know? The Vikings win. It, yeah. it's just, it's just yeah. that's the way that offenses work now.
1: But I just get a kick. That's how fickle, and I love that word. How fickle USC fans are. But that you know, quickly to not spend the whole entire podcast on USC, you know, Urban Myers is a terrific. Coach, I just question if that's where you want to go with the baggage that he brings in.
0: That's the keyword. See, yep, and, and I
1: don't word. mean that in any way to besmirch uh, a character. I, who am I? I don't know. I have an opinion, but my opinion means nothing. Um, I don't want to win at all costs. I don't. Um, you know, which is why I think people have a hard time coming out and saying, I don't like Clay Helton because he doesn't win. It's because we want to win with class and dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they don't want to do is they don't want to lose with class and dignity. They don't want to lose with class and dignity. So that's the sort of the dynamic. But I will tell you something that I hadn't noticed in a long time, you know, doing the stats at USC. Um, the Coliseum, when they first came out in that first game with JT mm-hmm. Daniels, had the electricity it hadn't had since the Pete Carroll days, because the place is just sparkling. It just really looks good. It's really a visual, and and it really has a great buzz. And the buzz kill, unfortunately, has been the on-field performances of every aspect of the uh, of what's of the product on field. In my mind,
0: yeah, it's been a weird season. It really has, and uh, I remember making sure that I switch switched everything around my day so that I could watch the USC game. And now that's not the case. And it's unfortunate because alone, so Brandon. Yeah. And first of all, the games are at such different times. You're not used to seeing a team playing constantly at seven 30 all the way until 1115. I mean, for you, you're not getting home till past midnight and it's just so strange when that happens for a team that you're used to seeing in that five o'clock window on ESPN slash ABC or maybe the 1230 game or something on Fox. Like it just has changed so much from the last couple of years. Yeah, and here's
1: something to sort of sum this up. USC fans are not used to being the top dog. And when you're moved around on times and you're playing at 730 at night and you're not on the prime time, if you're playing 730 at night on the West Coast on a nationwide platform, you're not as relevant as you would like to be. Yeah. That's
0: a nice way of saying you're not relevant. And, there is, and that is a problem. Yeah, no doubt. And there is one positive thing about all this, and that is that UCLA is worse. And then I saw on Twitter that someone was talking about Chip Kelly, and they said that even Clay Helton would have a better record with this UCLA squad than Chip Kelly. So there is one thing that we can take, Michael Moline, and that is that at least we are not UCLA. Yeah, that's sad, and that, but but everybody should learn from it because the
1: focus was on they're going to set an attendance record as being the worst ever at UCLA um, under a dynamic coach. And I've always said if Chip Kelly's engaged, it's you have to recruit their players. They're in a world of hurt because they, if they replace him two years in, he's recruited two years of the players that he's going to want to get a new coach is likely not going to run the chip Kelly type of offense. It's going to take him two years to get there. So it's going to be much harder for the Bruins to, um, get better again. And candidly, that's not healthy for UCLA economics via the athletic department because basketball just does not generate the revenues that football does. And when you have a Rose bowl that has 30,000 people or whatever it was announced, um, that's a problem. Also, uh, you know, UCLA needs, you know, I know uh, Dan Guerrero is leaving. They need an innovative, um, all-encompassed sort of head of the athletic department. I'm not the guy, obviously, but if I was in charge, the one thing I would be thinking of is how do I align for UCLA to play at the new Rams stadium? Because there is, and I realize they've got a long-term lease at the Rose Bowl, They, it's just not. UCLA, like at the Roseville, they don't have an identity there as it's a home field. So I, th- they've got a lot going on that they need to figure out a way to generate revenue and get themselves righted. Whereas USC, the school recruits itself, which is again, part of why I think that if you had a, uh, a, a not any coach, but a solid coach at USC, he's going to perform better. If you took our coach and put him at UCLA, I, 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 would argue that he's going to do much better um, over there because USC has gets the athletes, but yeah. it's it's fun. It's just it's a tough season, you know. Thank God for the Rams.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, with uh, you talk about the stadium, I don't think that's possible to have UCLA play there because with the Rams and Chargers, there's too many tenants already. A third would just make things crazy in terms of scheduling and trying to get it where all three teams could play because right now, obviously, you can't have both teams play on the same weekend with the Rams and Chargers. They'll alternate. And then if you throw in a football game on a Saturday, it just makes it impossible for the team, the people that are turning over the field. So that's not I don't think that's going to happen. Well, you know, there's a big topic not to get off on it, but every
1: day, basically, I'm at UCLA walking the stairs at Mm -hmm. Drake Stadium and they tried it years ago. But again, if you had a Casey Wasserman led or a big time UCLA push They've got plenty of space to have an on-campus stadium that would be unbelievable right there. Again, the neighbors are going to complain, but it is a public school. They have yeah. an eminent domain possibility. That would be magnificent.
0: That I mean, should, they should be the case. It's so unfortunate that they play so far away from their campus. I mean, that yeah. is, that's really bad. They're not even and close. I understand to why to they enough. left the Coliseum because they
1: feel that, Hey, we're always in USC stadium. I understand that. But in that, Aspect you feel bad for them, and now that they're struggling in in, in on field, they're struggling with attendance, yeah. they're struggling with culture, they're struggling with with just every dynamic of getting people to attend live events. It's a hard hill for them to sort of jog up. It's yeah. not going to be an easy climb back to uh, national uh, relevance, yeah. unless a coach like Urban Meyer goes and coaches says, "I'll take the job at UCLA." Yeah. Unless something like that were to happen,
0: st- and that surprise me. Right. Yeah. I mean, the students, the fact that they have to get into a car to go to a game, that's really tough because students are lazy. I mean, I remember being in college and it it just being a schlep even to walk to the Coliseum and that is a 10 to 15 minute walk. So you really shouldn't have a stadium that's far away because you're not going to get the fans there um, that you want and the number of students that you want. And then the support's not going to be good because that is not... A close drive. For anybody that doesn't understand Los Angeles, it's not close to be between Pasadena and Westwood. The two are- With zero cars on the road, Yeah, it's 30 to 40 minutes. With zero cars on the road. Add traffic
1: to it from the west side of Los Angeles, it's an hour 15-ish as a bare minimum to maybe more. So it depends on what time somebody would leave. And it's really unfair to them. All of those problems, I think, are fixable. Winning will help. All of that happens. But sometimes when you start winning, you sort of get a little lazy on the other areas that you might want to be focused on, as uh, the aforementioned USC is involved with right now. So that's the uh, that's what I think they've got a road ahead of them. I don't think that they can walk away from Chip Kelly this year. Yeah. I think next year will be his telltale year um, because now he's got players that are in and we'll see what happens. And they showed a little spark, you know, with a big game a couple
0: games back with uh
1: with their Washington quarterback. Washington yeah. Guess, yeah they, that was yeah. a big
0: comeback against Washington State. All right, let's go to the Rams. Let's stay on football. Um, and then we'll close out with Joe Madden and the Angels. Um Jay Gruden was fired today from the Washington Redskins and now there are rumbles that watch out. Maybe Sean McVay might go home to go coach the Washington Redskins. I don't know if that's actually going to happen um, because you would assume the Rams would pay him whatever he wants. But let's talk about the Rams. This has been a season where uh, the expectations coming in were all over the place. There were some projections that had them winning eight to nine games. Some said, no way they're going to win 11 minimum. And now here's this team that is a little confusing, frankly, and we don't know what to think of this Rams team. Um, A good game against Seattle i guess until like uh, i don't a know a great
1: game against Seattle and your your kicker that was yours for the taking and he barely misses a field goal in yeah. a game that pivots the entire season from being 4 and 1 to 3 and 2 yeah. so that that gave them insurance and, and and would have been there i i will tell you and you know for sure being your NFL network deal yeah. it is not easy to be a dominant
0: team in oh. the NFL. Oh, for sure. Only, only, is only is the Patriots easy. can do it. Only the Patriots can do it.
1: And and exactly. I mean, there are teams and they're bashing the Atlanta coach and they're bashing this guy and they're bashing the Houston coach. It's just not easy. It is so razor thin. And the only thing that I can observe with the Rams is I now understand how one player within one section of the game kind of affects everything else. If Gurley is not special and he's fine, I don't, I don't mean to say that it affects the passing game and the play actions and, and some of the things that the offense does wonderfully, the getting Cooper cutback sort of covers all of that. There's still a very good team. Are they the elite team? I think so, but I don't know that. I just think that to be in the elite, the top four or five, it's so razor thin. You miss a kick with the best kicker in my mind in the league by, he didn't like miss it. Like, Oh, it was shanked. He barely misses a kick. And all of those little things that don't go your way sort of set the tone and sort of snowball in, in either a good direction or a bad direction, something to build upon. You mentioned the Vikings. They were like, Oh, they're not any good. They're quarterbacks. No. good, And then they play beautifully. The, you know, this last, uh sun just recently Sunday. So it's very hard. The only thing that's the consistent, it seems is the Patriots keep rolling, but the Rams are going to be fine. I cannot imagine a scenario that Sean McVay would leave the Rams to go anywhere. His just yeah. the West coast is where he is. So I think that that's just writers writing to write and okay, let's create a topic and then maybe it'll get some legs. I don't think that there's a snowball's chance there. I am a little surprised that coach Gruden stayed as long as he did with zero. Well, with minimal successes in his entire tenure, you know, but then again, look at the Cowboys coach, you know, Jason Garrett, he's there forever. It seems like, and candidly, What have they ever done? You know, they they were good last
0: year. They were good last year. But then they've had a couple of bad losses, obviously, um, to the Saints and to the Packers. But uh, you talk about the Rams and you're spot on about Gurley. It's strange. We don't know what's going on. And I think that's the weirdest part is that in today's day and age where we find out everything, we still don't know what's going on with Todd Gurley because he's clearly not the same guy. I mean, you do not have him running 20 times a game where he did run 20 times a game two years ago, and he was the best running back in the NFL. Even last year, he was the best running back in the NFL until late in the season. I mean, he really fell off a cliff, and now he's only running seven, eight times a game, and that clearly shows you that he's not healthy. I mean, he's catching more passes than he really is running. Yeah, and go to the business side of it. You know,
1: baseball, I'm not transitioning to baseball. Baseball pays players for what they did, not what they're going to do. The Mm -hmm. NFL, because of the hard cap, because of how monies are are spent out, you normally don't pay a player for what he did. You're paying him for what he's going to do. Um, And when you do that, when you have special players – use the Rams, Todd Gurley or something else – and then something goes wrong, you don't have those dollars to sort of replace the talent. If Gurley on an A to F is an A plus at his best and now with anything going on, now he's let's say an A minus. No, he's not even close to that. You're being too nice. Let's just say – I mean I understand – and you want to get back to an A-plus, you don't have the resources to get that production back. Yeah. So it's interesting to me on what they do. I will tell you this. I think the organization is just incredible. The people are incredible. Everything about them is incredible. They're all trying, and it's that way with every organization in the NFL. But going to Washington, you mentioned Coach Gruden. There's a team that's perennially suffering now. Even the Cleveland Browns who are that way, everybody's kind of rooting for them. The Redskins are the new Cleveland Browns, it seems. I I, I don't know where they're going to go, and it's, it's, it's sad, but I love the NFL.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk t- more about the Rams, and you obviously have problem number one, which is probably Gurley, and then you also have a couple other things that are very strange. You have Jared Goff, who was tremendous last year and was one of the top quarterbacks passing the football, um, and now it seems like he's taken a couple steps back, which is very strange, the Rams decided to extend him. You didn't need to extend him when you did. And now you have a quarterback that is surrounded by incredible talent. I mean, like you said, Cup is brilliant. Brandon Cooks is excellent. Robert Woods is tremendous. They have three of probably the top 10 wide receivers in all of football. And you add a guy like Jared Goff, who should be putting up eye popping numbers. And I don't know what's happening with him this year. I and think he is putting up uh, not eye popping, but he's putting
1: up really good numbers. But not the same. Are,
0: not even to close to the same. As what did they last
1: lock year. into if the if the threat of Gurley popping a forty yard run or getting you six or eight yeah. isn't there, they're they're thinking, well, now let's just focus on rushing Goth. You know, let's 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 get him pressured. So it's it's interesting now are they going to straighten it out with this coach? Absolutely. Are they going to be one of the better teams in the NFL? Absolutely. How good? I don't know. I hope that they get good enough to be hungry and to go through this sort of turbulent time to give them some more strength so that they have more at the end, as opposed to more at the beginning, you know, what's the word that they use a management, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the load management on, on players. Let's hope that that is a new catchphrase that has some, bearing in some weight with the Rams. But it. I enjoy watching NFL football. I can't wait for next year's stadium because, again, playing at the Coliseum is they have a home field advantage, but it's not quite what it was. And they've got a little bit of kinks that they have to
0: uh, iron out uh, before they really sort of roll. And we'll see. You yeah. Know? I mean, you look at what they've done recently defensively, and it's so odd because Wade Phillips is getting – Obviously, all of this praise as a defensive coordinator and all this talent that he has on the defensive side of the ball, and to give up 55 points to Tampa Bay and then to give up 30 to Seattle is strange. And well,
1: wait, wait, wait. So I'm with you in that it is strange, but it's the NFL. But the Tampa Bay game, you're down points 21 0 or something, I don't remember exactly, based on turnovers that happen. Um, I can't put that on the defense. So again, it just shows that everything locks into everything and you need all the components going to the games. I don't like it when coaches say, well, it's just three parts, special teams, offense, and defense. I don't think so. I think that there's multiple parts within each one of those. The running game affects the passing game play action becomes a much bigger problem. It gives Goff a split second more time to make a decision. And he's a excellent thrower you know he's really a good manager he's really good under pressure he doesn't melt under you know he doesn't sort of fall apart but if you don't have that running game as good as it was it's like an engine you got eight cylinders one's misfiring the others are still going but you still that one sort of affects how the overall performance is so i can't blame the defense what i found interesting was and and sue who was spotty of brilliance last year for the rams and maybe perhaps not as consistent as they would have hoped. He played a very consistent game, and he's the, 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 the one as the Rams are coming back. And if there had been a little more time, I believe the Rams would have won. He scoops up the ball coincidentally to put the game out of reach. So it's it's interesting.
0: Yeah, and this is a big stretch coming up for the Rams. You have three games in which you should win, at home against San Francisco, at Atlanta, and at home against Cincinnati. You, if you are the Rams of last year, you go 3-0 and in those games going into the bye, and then you come out of the bye with a very tough schedule. You're at Pittsburgh. You're versus the Bears, versus the Ravens. At Arizona, should be an easy game. Versus Seattle, and then at Dallas. That's a very tough schedule. And then you also have at San Francisco after that. San Francisco's undefeated going into tonight. So it's not an easy schedule after the bye. So you have to get wins when you can get them, and I think the Rams have to win their next three. Yeah, and they had, would have had insurance. Had they won in Seattle, everybody would be upbeat. Oh, the Rams
1: are fine. They've only lost once. You know, you lost that insurance game because for me that's a pivot. You know, if you're 4 and 1, now San Francisco comes in and if you don't win that game, it's not a big deal. Now if you don't win that game, you're 3 and 3. It doesn't mean you're you're done, but it means you now have an uphill climb to get to where, uh, you want to win the division and you want to have, uh, you know, home field advantage and things like that, as opposed to, um, now this game is the pivot game. If you don't win this game against San Francisco, it's trouble. If you're San Francisco, the world uh, the NFL world will know what they are after this game. In my mind, they'll know what San Francisco is. Um, because they're coming here to L.A. to do it. So, yeah. But it'll be a great game. I mean, uh, I have no doubts that the 49ers, you know, last year was an aberration for them losing to injury all their players, and this is what they always thought was going to happen with the two coaches signing in the same year, they're going to rebuild franchises to what they need to be. The Rams had done that. The 49ers were on the way and then they had the injury hiccups. Yeah. What is, what's the scuttlebutt within the, you know, the NFL networky? What are, what are all the people talking about there?
0: Mm. I mean, are, I mean, it's just in terms of the hot topics and different teams and who's doing well, who's not doing well. No, no one really in particular. Um, I mean, you have such interesting stories this year where so many backup quarterbacks are taking over. I mean, Cam Newton's gone. So you've Gardner Minshew, Cam Newton is not there. So Allen is taking over at quarterback. Pittsburgh (laughs) loses big Ben. So you obviously had their backup quarterback yesterday. That hit. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's tough. There are some weird hits this year that are um, obviously dangerous. Then you have other roughing the passer penalties that are just tackles. It's very strange what's happening uh, this season, but yeah, I mean, there's so many different quarterback situations. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo's back with San Francisco. Um, you look up and down the list, and you have the Bears who lost Trubisky. So yesterday, Chase Daniel was their quarterback, and all of a sudden the Raiders look like a decent team when everyone thought the Bears were going to beat the Raiders in Hold London. Up, I
1: hear Mikey Sherry yelling at you. The Raiders aren't a decent team. The
0: Raiders are a great team. Yeah, Mikey Sherry, by the way, a wonderful producer. So good way to uh, name drop him there. Nice to give him some credit where it's due. Uh, yeah, I mean, Redskins started Colt McCoy yesterday. So many backup quarterbacks this year. Um, obviously, Andrew Luck before the season. Do the Redskins have a quarterback? Dwayne Haskins is their quarterback of the future. But yeah, but that—do they have one? I no, mean, not right th- now. He was an unknown
1: even at Ohio State because he seems like if in that system, all these great guys are there. I, I don't get that. I, I I just see them as a—they they got issues even at quarterback. Well, I mean, the issue
0: is that Alex Smith got hurt. And yeah. so because Alex Smith got hurt, that really threw their team into turmoil. But yeah. let, let's move okay. on from football. Um, let's go to baseball to close things out. Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim. We had a long discussion about Brad Ausmus when he was hired and we both thought it was a pretty decent hire. Um, I didn't love that. He was a name that has already um, been, I don't know how to per- perfectly put it, but he was a guy that didn't do great in Detroit. He had like, probably one good season, Um, So kind of a retread of sorts, but we did think that he was young enough to have the analytics put into the game of baseball, plus the combination of experience. So we thought that could be a pretty decent mix, um, but it didn't work out, and uh, it's really tough for him, honestly, because... He had Justin Upton hurt to start the season. Shohei Ohtani couldn't pitch. Ohtani was clearly not healthy. Mike Trout got hurt during the season. Tyler Skaggs died during the season. I mean, yeah. you had so many things happen during the year between injuries. I didn't and even, this- go, even go to my friend and our friend now to, uh, on the podcast, Tim
1: Meade leaves the Angels during the season. Yeah. You know, during this very difficult season. And right after he leaves is when Skaggs happens. So there's... I'm sure Brad Osmus candidly, is a fine manager. Yeah. Is he in the top group? I don't know. I know this. He's not in the bottom group. There are people that are that, that are not there. And yeah. the Angels need a top guy, and that's Matt.
0: Yeah. He, he, the one out. thing about Osmus is that he didn't deserve this, but he didn't show anything this season that – gave us an indication that he was going to be a great manager. There was nothing that he showed this season. And frankly, the Angels cannot continue to sit in mediocrity during Mike Trout's prime. And that is the key. And now you get Otani back next year to hit and pitch. You have Trout back healthy. You have a payroll where you can go out and get an ace this season, hopefully a guy like Garrett Cole. And to your point, I think they would not have done this if they didn't know Joe Madden was coming back home. I think yeah, I, I think that is going to be the end all be all is that Joe Madden will end up being named the next manager of the Los Angeles Angels. What Matt, I agree. And
1: Madden, what he brings that I don't think Brad Osmus uh, has is Brad is not the guy that is full of passion and uh, blank and vinegar, you know, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. He's he's not going screaming and yelling and throwing stuff and this and that. Um, Madden can do that, and Madden can be fun, and Madden can, can do weird things, and Madden can liven it up, whereas Brad Osmus seems like he's right down the middle, he's going to be consistent, he's going to do things well, but he's not going to get volatile ever, and Madden's going to give you that. Flavor, for lack of a better word, of ice cream. He's going to give you a rocky road, all kinds of things going on, whereas Osmus is going to give you a rock-solid chocolate. You know, <laughs> So I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think the Angels do have a great foundation. The difficulty um, is replacing Tyler Skaggs. And people go, what do you mean? He was just a – no, no. You lose a solid major league starting pitcher – who lost his life? You, it's not like, wait, okay, just next guy up. No, no, you need two guys because you need to replace him and then whoever was sitting below. So it, it's difficult, but that getting Otani will be a big deal, I, I, I really believe. But the problem I have is I'm not convinced Otani is an ace. I think Otani is a very good pitcher. He's he, a two he, or three. He's a three. number two. Yeah, he's a number two. Yeah. And if you don't have an ace and he's your ace, How much better are you missing a Tyler Skaggs, who for all realistic discussions is a three or a four? Um, How do you replace that? You need that. So I do like this. I would much rather the Angels go go get pitchers via free agency and build pitchers from within than – Take the other approach, which is okay, we just want to buy everybody on free agency and not develop. I don't like the idea of trading Joe Adele unless you get the world thrown at you.
0: I, I don't th- care. What I, don't, the- I don't think they will trade him. I think he'll end up being actually in the outfield to start next season um, or at least a couple months in. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think Cole Calhoun will stay, but I think you bring up a good point is that if you have Otani as your two, let's say you bring in Garrett Cole, you have Cole, Otani, Heaney. And then you also have Griffin Canning back from injury as well. That's a very solid four starting pitchers. And the Angels haven't had that type of pitching in a while. And,
1: you know, the 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 scuttlebutt. And, again, you don't know what to read because in today there's not like a, a, a journalism check through their sources. You know, it's just people can write what they want via Twitter, as you mentioned, Yahoo, Google, whatever it is. Um, if you are the Angels and somebody puts out there, well, would you trade Joe Adele? For Syndergaard, now again, I'm not a GM. I wouldn't do that. I, what do you mean, Syndergaard? There's people that would argue on both sides. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it either. Not, I wouldn't. But that's do it what the talk is. I, I would not do that because he could be. You could have two Mickey Mantles with Trout and Joe Adele. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's going to throw the world at you and give you two front line starting pitchers, a one and a three, and some prospects, you have to look at that. Of course, but. I, I would much rather go buy starting pitcher, limit how much I'm going to do it, offer Cole the world on a five-year or a four-year deal or something like that. And if he's great, you can revisit. And if he's not, OK, he's four years older, you can walk and look to do it again, than going to replace a, you know, sort of a generational or a, certainly a decade like talent like Joe Adele so that's just my preference but I do like if who's ever sitting in the seats making these decisions and Madden also you get a good talent evaluator on field and sort of like a free assistant GM to um, the GM for the Angels I like that hire a lot and I think that the Angels contend next year legitimately and of course you know I'm going to tell you they win every game even when they don't score as many runs but On a serious note, I really think they become a contender with Madden immediately,
0: immediately. I agree. And he was tremendous with the Rays. Let's not forget that. And he actually didn't get fired by the Rays. What happened was Andrew Friedman left Tampa Bay to take over as the president of baseball ops with the Dodgers. And because of that, there was an opt-out. In Madden's contract. And so Madden actually left to go manage the Cubs. And what's funny about that situation is that Rick Renteria was actually the manager of the Cubs at the time. So he was actually a dead duck because there were rumors linking him to that Cubs position, that him being Madden, while Renteria still held the job. Well, yeah. same situation here where Osmus still held the position when Madden was being linked to the Angels. Now oh, Ausmus is that. gone. Now Ausmus is gone, and then Madden most likely is going to take over as he's interviewing today, supposedly, with the Angels. He'll probably take over as the manager, and then obviously the rest is history with the Cubs where he ended up winning the World Series. So I think it's very possible that this is a guy that really does love Anaheim. And I think he'll be happy to come home. I think that if you have the opportunity to go to San Diego versus going to the Angels, I think you end up managing the best player, despite the fact that San Diego has Machado and Fernando Tatis, and they have a very good young starting pitcher and Chris Paddock and loads of other guys who are young. I think the Angels are in a situation now to win, and you just need that manager that gives them a spark. I think going back to what you said earlier, I think that Madden will give them energy that they have not had. In a long, long time. Correct. Correct. And yes. you don't let them out of the room. They're not going to, if I'm the Angels,
1: I'm not letting you even go talk to San Diego because, yeah. with respect to San Diego, they realize he makes us as a city and baseball again important in San Diego mm-hmm. um, versus. With all respect to Brad Ausmus, Brad Ausmus would be a candidate for San Diego. But again, where's that pedigree? Where's that passion? Madden is a very special guy. Has he won consistently the biggest of big games? Um, has he won many of the last games in the World Series? No, but he's the elite to de- of today's managers, and I think that he would be a, a a tremendous fit for the Angels. And don't let him out of the room. You know, I agree.
0: I agree. You know, Make sure yeah. he's signing that contract before he leaves because he is a tremendous manager, a very good person, and frankly, he would be the perfect And colorful man. and colorful, yep. I think. You know, that's that's I think a fun word, but he's got some
1: colorfulness to him. So you and I are on the same page there. I'd love to disagree with you, but but he's just the uh, he he's the guy. He's the natural fit. If they don't get him obviously you're not rehiring Brad Osmus. What direction do you go? Exactly. Yeah. That will be interesting. So I think the angels are all in on this and they're not letting him walk out the door. The other great thing, my last point with Joe Madden is it's not about the money. So San Diego, I don't think comes and says, well, we're going to give you a wheelbarrow full of money. Madden's, does not need money. He's made a lot of money with the Cubs, made a lot of money as a manager. So it's not like you're getting a a Brad Osmus, who's a very wealthy person, I'm sure, and very successful. But he it, it would be about the money. If somebody offered him more, uh, it would be different.
0: So that, that'll that be fun to see. And I think and the Cubs, by the way, offered him a deal that made him the highest paid manager, to your point. So he yeah. clearly he's made his money. Now he has a chance to try and get another World Series and become one of the best managers that we've seen if he's able to win with two different teams, just like Kawhi Leonard is now going to the Clippers to try and win with three different NBA teams. So we'll see what Joe Madden does. I think he'll provide a spark. Hopefully he's the guy. I don't. If the, if he ends up not being the guy, which frankly I think is a one percent chance, I think Joe Girardi will end up being the manager of the Angels. But yeah, it's interesting how they all domino in, you
1: know, because yeah. with guys like Madden, not Girardi, because Girardi is sitting as a commentator now, which is sort of let me sit you guys on the shelf and then yeah. we pick you off as we need you, not much like a grocery shopping list. Yeah. Um, Madden has his pick. If he said I want to manage the Boston Red Sox, he he'll be managing the Boston Red Sox. Girardi could say I want to be managing the Boston Red Sox we'll consider that you know that's kind of how they think about it so so that's why in my mind the Angels have done what they're supposed to do to line it up and just don't let them out of the room yep I agree all right so before we go
0: as of now we are recording this as the Rays and Astros are playing game three of their series where the Astros lead two nothing the Yankees are leading the Twins two nothing going to Minnesota the Dodgers leading the Nationals two to one and the Cardinals are currently trailing the Braves two to one World Series who do you see as the final two teams and who do you see winning it all you know I'd like to see the Dodgers get
1: through um, because they seem like they're one of the best teams on the National League side Um, but it's funny I find myself watching Atlanta kind of pulling for them Mm -hmm. you know and I really would hope that the Rays could beat the Astros, but the Astros remind me of the Dodgers. It's like, they're so good. You know, how are you going to beat Verlander and Granke back to back? You know, so they just seem built to win. And And, Garrett Cole, by the way. Say it again? And Garrett Cole, yeah, yeah. Throw him in another race. Yeah. Um, And now you go to the Yankees and it's like they can mash their way out of anything. So as much as me from my old days, have I always liked and cheer for teams that were really good to agents and good to players. So the twins kind of good to player. Oh, I'd like to see the twins win. But then again, Brian Cashman, really a nice guy, really good. So it's like, for me, I'm very conflicted. So I go with my, my gut on this. I think it will be the Dodgers and I think it will be the Astros. And if I had to pick the Astros with adding Granky, it's, I, I don't see how you beat them. Whereas I see the Dodgers, With all respect to Clayton Kershaw, I think that he's still a tremendous pitcher, but I think he'd be the number four pitcher on the Houston Astros. So that's, to me, where Houston is so strong. Can the Dodgers outmash him? Maybe, but I think that that's where it would be. I I would like to see Dodgers and Yankees, but that's just because of my uh, historic love of the game. But that's my
0: prediction, so I would have to say Houston,
1: if they get there, they will win.
0: It's been a while since we've uh, talked and done a podcast, and uh, perhaps that has made it where we agree a lot, because I have the same exact pick. Uh, I think it's going to be Dodgers versus Astros, the Astros win. You look at the pitching between Verlander, Cole, Grinky, and then the bullpen that Houston has, yep. plus you look at the lineup of Springer, and Bregman, and Altuving, and Jordan Alvarez, and Yuli Gurriel, and... They just have such a good lineup up and down. Both are a good
1: team. Let's not dismiss the Dodgers, yeah. but
0: it, it would be enough. Who do you want to be there? Like, that would be the other thing. That's who you think. Who I, do you want? I would like to see the Braves on the NL side. I think it would be cool to see them. Um, there are some guys that I really like on that team. Um, it actually turns. I
1: like the rebuild part. Hey, we, yeah. were, we
0: were horrible, and now we're through
1: this process. We've reemerged. Yeah, that's kind of fun. That's yeah, a
0: fun and then I think in, in the AL side, I mean, I would like to see the Rays, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Astros will probably close it out today. Um, God, you and I
1: are the same Rays. Yeah, yeah,
0: it, but because the Astros were just there, the Yankees are the Yankees, and I don't really like the Twins at all. So it, it's. I think in this You're like the twins because of the organization or just the, the team? No, it's actually neither. It's I have one person that I knew that I went to college with that's a big Minnesota fan, and I do not like him. And so because of that, <laughs> that's why I root against the twins. And he's vocal that's about funny. the he's vocal about the Minnesota sports on Twitter, and he's obnoxious, and I don't want him to win the World Series. It's it's call honestly, him out,
1: call him out. No,
0: it's as simple as that.
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm with you. The 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 interesting thing for me is I, I have not followed baseball the way I normally do. And I actually question myself that. Is that me alone or is that what's going on in sports? The NFL is gaining more. College sports has my attention. I've become more football centric. I don't know. But now that we're close I actually am going back to my old loyalties and sort of what I liked and the, the business flavors who you root for guys that you wouldn't normally want to normally be there cause they don't have the payroll. So it would be fun. But I think there is a 1% chance that the Rays can take the Astros out. I think there is a 1% chance that the Braves yeah. can take out, you know, can take out the Cardinals and then beat the Dodgers, uh, you know, on the other side. So it, it, it's interesting.
0: I'll tell Were you though, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, before I'll cut you up. Remember your question. Um, yeah. I'll tell you what though, the Yankees Astros series, if yeah. that's what ends up happening, right. that's going to be fun. I mean, you look at right. it. Yeah. This is the Yankees lineup from two days ago. LeMay judge Gardner and Stanton Torres, Gary Sanchez, Didi Gregorius and Urshela. That was one through nine. Yeah, Gregorius
1: D. is hitting uh, eighth. He's hitting yeah. eighth. Yeah,
0: yeah. D. yeah. He's hitting eighth. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, they're they're solid. They're mashers. The Yankees are suspect with, you know, certain parts of the pitching staff, but they're Yeah, but their eight. bullpen is tremendous. Their bullpen yeah. is very good, but like you said, yeah, their starting rotation is a little questionable. Severino, we'll see how he is today because he was their ace last year and he missed a lot of the season due to injury. So it'll be interesting to see how he does, but Tanaka has been okay, actually, Um They lost Herman, which is a brutal thing for them because he was great during the year. But like you said, I think Houston has a better staff than the Yankees, and I think the Yankees and Astros both have tremendous offenses, so that could be a really fun series. And I have one thing to say I think it's really important because it will lock me back into baseball. I'm so
1: happy to see David Ortiz back Sitting around, I haven't spoken with him, haven't texted. I'm guessing that his phone disappeared and he didn't see text, or he just got overwhelmed with them. But if they come out here, I will make a point of finding him to give him a hug, you know, yeah. um, because I just he's just such a special guy, and I'm glad he's still amongst us and uh, doing his thing.
0: Yep, no doubt about that. It's uh, it's good to see him back doing what he loves, and good to see him on TV. All right, well that'll wrap things up. Don't forget, you can uh, go to the website mostlybanter.com like the podcast. You can rate and review on iTunes, also on SoundCloud. So until next time, I'm Brandon. I'm Michael. Be good humans. There you go. I was waiting for it. Have a good one, everybody.